Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Not The Farmer's Wife. I'm CJ, your host. And this week we are talking about chicken coops. So everything in the last couple of weeks has been a lead up uh, because in June, on June 10th, we are opening registrations for our backyard chicken keeping course. Now, if you yourself maybe don't need to do it, but you know somebody who would like to, I would love it if you would pass along my details to them and tell them to come and follow me on all the social medias at Instagram, Facebook. You can get me at Not The Farmer's Wife. You can also find me at Mojo Homestead, which is the name of our farm. And uh, so 10th of June, we're starting, we're open for registrations and the course itself starts on the 17th of June. It's a six week long self-paced course um, there'll be a couple of lives in amongst there but for the most part self-paced I understand everybody's busy because I'm busy too um, and so that way you can work along at your own speed um, I think it's going to be fairly reasonably priced uh, but I'd love you to come along and have a look uh, and if you're not already on our mailing list jump on to www.mojohomestead.net uh, and you can go to a couple of different points and either download a free webinar or download a free PDF and that will get you on our mailing list so you're in the know with everything we're doing out at the farm. Um, anyway, so leading up to the course starting in June, I wanted to cover off on a whole bunch of chickeny topics that I think people are really um, interested in but not sure about. And obviously in the course we go into these things in a lot greater detail uh, than what I can do in half an hour, 40 minutes. Um, but this is just a rough guide to give you some kind of understanding and maybe get you thinking about whether or not you could have backyard chickens yourself. Because I think everybody should have backyard chickens, even if you're in a, only a small backyard. Uh, I think there's lots of ways that you can get around not having enough space. Um, you could share the chickens with another family that lives on the same street as you. Uh, you could have your chickens based at a community gardens and, and go out and deal with them when you, you know, go and manage them and look after them and check their welfare while you're out doing your veggie gardens. Or if you have enough space in your yard, then keep them in your yard. Give the kids a, another little chore to put on that pocket money list that I'm, my kids are always asking for something else to go on the list so they can earn more pocket money. Um, so that would be a way of, of doing it. But I, I really think a couple of chooks in the backyard, everybody should have. I see it like a bit like the old victory gardens they had during the World Wars. Not that I was alive then, but uh, I've read about them and it sounds like an ideal thing to me. I mean, think of having excess eggs and being able to swap it with the guy down the road who's got a really good fruit tree. It, it would work for everybody. It'd be a win-win. Anyway, enough about that. If you haven't already, jump onto to Mojo Homestead uh, and jump on our waitlist or our mailing list and then you can hear about everything that we're doing. So this week, chicken coops. Because I know that that seems to cause some issues for some people because they're not sure or they think they're going to be expensive or, you know, that they won't be able to do it. 
but there are a few things that you need to consider and yeah in some cases maybe not everybody can have one in their backyard but most people with a normal suburban backyard could absolutely have them and you know what if you're in a block of units speak to somebody else in the unit complex it might be that there's a couple of families that would like to do that and you could petition the body corporate to allow you to have a little chicken yard and take turns in looking after the chicken and take turns in collecting the eggs would be a win-win for everyone so first thing we're going to cross is uh, size and space because that seems to be the real bugbear now coops need to be comfortable enough to accommodate the number of chickens that you plan to keep if you only have a small backyard then only get a small number of chickens or get a breed that only takes up a small amount of space like for example I've discussed before our little bantam silkies which don't take up much space at all um, but the general guideline and I'm really hard it's really hard for me to imagine it in size but the general guideline that that most of the gurus say is 0.3 of a meter squared per chicken inside the coop uh, which in the old scale is four square feet which is probably easier to imagine you know size wise um, but if you've only got two or three chickens then that's not a very big space that's only a little coop now outside the outdoor area they say between 0.7 of a meter and 0.9 of a meter squared which is eight to ten square feet per chicken if if the chicken that that area will vary depending on what your circumstances are so if you have an area that they can forage um, backyard grassed area that they can forage during the day being able to remove them from the outdoor coop area into a foraging area certainly frees up that outdoor coop area from needing to be as big as that you could definitely go towards the small side um, but it will depend on your own personal circumstances if you are looking at smaller birds like the silky bantams that we talked about then you probably would be able to cut that size in half uh, they really don't take a lot of space the main thing is with the silky bantams is that you have a enclosed area that is undercover that is outside um, their feathers aren't like normal feathers and they they don't handle the wet very well but that's really not that much space uh, if you went out and measured that in your backyard um, depending on of course if you've got kids or things like that you could you know utilize other areas I know in the past we've put chickens underneath the trampoline so the kids still had access to the trampoline but the chickens had like an area enclosed around a trampoline just with mesh that they could go into and peck and forage and, and do their chickeny things so you just have to sometimes be a little bit inventive if space is a little bit tight um, same with roosting you know the the nesting boxes having it and we'll talk about nesting boxes roosting later on but there's certain things that you can layer up if you don't have enough space to go out so being able to go up instead of out reduces your, your um, floor space your ground space um, anyway that's as I said there's always alternatives so community gardens and things like that if you don't have the space in your backyard but that's really not that much space for a chicken to to have a run area in uh, the next thing I want to talk about was security and unfortunately I've I can firsthand attest to this one even in an urban environment chickens still have predators and it doesn't matter whether you are in the US or here in Australia 
um, we still have wild animals that will attack chickens. In Australia, it's predominantly dogs, cats, birds of prey, rats, things like that. In the States, they have a whole bunch of other issues they need to deal with, including raccoons. Um, you also have to be uh, conscious of uh, snakes coming in. Now, we've had snakes come in before uh, to take the eggs. Uh, only ever pythons, garden variety snakes. Um, the, the venomous snakes tend to go for meat, like the direct animals, like rodents and lizards and things like that, rather than the eggs. But I imagine that they would eat an egg if given the opportunity. So it's really important that whatever materials you use to build your coop, you think about the security of it. If you have very small birds and no rooster, then you really do need to consider birds of prey um, because a, an eagle will come in and take a chicken uh, if that chicken's not moving. And something to watch if you ever out at a farm or anything like that where there's a lot of chickens, watch for an eagle to go over. If an eagle goes over, the chickens will run for cover. They know the shape in the, in the sky and they will leg it and try and get protection and get under their chicken tractors. Owls do it all the time. We, we laugh about it. It's not funny, but we do laugh about it because they it's the fastest I ever see them move. Um, in an urban environment, the biggest issue is going to be domestic dogs. And I'm a dog lover. I have no problem with people having domestic dogs. I think every family should have a dog. But domestic dogs that are not contained or not controlled um, will, will become opportunistic. And we have had this problem at the small farm where we were in uh, more of a uh, urban environment uh, where a dog from two houses down was loose, used to get loose on a regular basis because its fencing wasn't properly secured. And it came into our backyard and it demolished, uh, I think, two of our chooks that time. We also had a fox come into the backyard and take out another uh, chicken that was one of our loved aracans. Um but dogs are your biggest issue. Cats, not so much. I've, I've not, you know, it'd have to be a very small chicken for a cat to, to try and have a go at it. Uh, but a, a feral cat, you know, I've seen them take on pretty big rabbits. I've seen them take on pretty big other animals. So I, I wouldn't surprise me if they would. But in all honesty, in a backyard environment, neighborhood dogs are going to be the biggest issue. Now, one of the ways that you can get around this is by having dog, cause, because dogs will dig, is having your chickens secured into a run where the wire mesh comes out from the bottom of the run and is essentially buried by grass and dirt. Now that works well if you're not moving your run all the time. If you're moving your run all the time and you've got like a proper little chicken tractor, uh, which are awesome for backyards and they're really good value, um, you need to in check it on a regular basis to make sure that all the wire and the mesh and everything is still intact and that a dog can't pull wire out in order to get in and get the chickens. Um, making sure that there are secure locks. Um, certainly in the US, I have heard horror stories of raccoons learning how to open a lock. I think the general rule is if a two-year-old can open it, a raccoon can open it. Um, so you need to make sure that's secure. You need to make sure that the wire mesh is uh, sufficiently small enough holes so that things can't get through. I have seen a bird of prey um, peck a head off a chick that stuck its head through a mesh fence. And so all we found was the, the carcass of the chicken inside the, the run, uh, minus a head, but its neck sticking out through the wire. 
Um, so we don't want them sticking their head out through there if they're particularly when they're just little chicks they don't understand the dangers that are out there for them uh, but also too the smaller the gauge wire and mesh wire uh, the less chance you've got of having a snake get into the the chicken run after eggs most pythons are fairly fat um, by the time they work out how to get eggs anyway uh, so if it's a small enough gauge they can't actually squeeze through uh, but don't be surprised, snakes. I've seen snakes get some pretty small spaces. So it's really important that you just keep an eye on the mesh and keep an eye on the materials and make sure that nothing is coming away from the wall. And if wire's attached, it's still attached properly and there's no gaps or holes or anything like that in it. Um, next one is ventilation. Most people don't think about this one, but it, it's actually really important. People, as particularly if you live in a really cold climate where it would snow or get down to the minuses overnight, people want to keep their chicken coop really, really warm. They want to cover everything in. And I've seen, um, uh, similar to the beehives blankets, I've seen people use, uh, I don't have to use them here because we don't get that cold, but snowy uh, environment beekeepers will have these, like they're almost like a doona or a quilt that goes over the top of the beehive to keep it warm. And I've seen people try and use that in chicken coops as well. But it's absolutely vital that you check that if you are insulating or covering your coop with something, that there is still ventilation and air can still flow through the coop. Without air, um, the, the buildup of ammonia and moisture within the coop will cause issues. It'll cause diseases. It will cause your chickens to get sick. They need a regular airflow. Now, to me, the best system of telling whether or not there is sufficient airflow going through the coop is to either go and stand in the coop or stick your head in the coop if you can't stand in there. And if the smell of ammonia is too strong for you, then I can tell you right now, the smell of ammonia is going to be too strong for the chickens as well, which means you either need to clean it more often or you need to air it more often. So... I, th I find the best thing, um, we've got chicken tractors, but in when we had the smaller coops and we're in the process of looking at getting some more smaller coops because we're going to try, try and start doing heritage birds, which we'll keep separate so that we can breed purebreds. And the coops for them will have little vented mesh um, areas. So just a little, um, you know, probably 10 centimetre by 10 centimetre uh, window that's covered with uh, mosquito netting. And that is enough to let the air through without letting any predators in and they still get that airflow but you need it on both sides so that the air is really pushing through the building. Um, next one is nesting boxes. Now at the moment we've just swapped over we're trialing a new nesting box um, because the nesting boxes that we had we found the girls were sleeping in them you don't want the girls sleeping in their nesting box and the reason you don't want them sleeping in there is because they shit in there and when they shit in there you end up with eggs covered in shit so the easiest way is to have a nesting box that they are not inclined to sleep in um, so we've just trialed a new one we actually bought it but we're going to make we're going to use it as a template to make some more and it's working really well we just need more of them uh, i would say in a small coop you get away with just one nesting box if you've only got two or three girls but be warned they will fight over a nesting box uh, if if the top of the pecking order chick if she says that's my time in the nesting box well everybody else gets put straight out on their ear 
uh, until she's finished they don't get access so it is sometimes good to have two nesting boxes just so that they have a choice if they if one's being very possessive about her nesting box you've at least got an option for the others to go into and that just stops any problems with broken eggs or fighting chickens or anything like that um, now the nesting boxes really should be around 30 centimeters to 30 centimeters um, you know just enough for a chook to get in and sit they like to sit and calm themselves and get themselves ready before they lay their eggs so they need enough space to be able to sit comfortably they, they generally like it to be not dark but a little bit protected they like to have some walls on the you know either side and just have an opening at the front and have a wall at the back and and a roof across the top certainly improves the situation as well it makes them feel very secure where they can sit in a little box like that before they lay their egg as far as the bedding material at the bottom we have trialed just about everything and what I'm hoping to go back to um, there's mats that you could buy that are specifically built for them and they look basically like very thinned out fake turf it's hard plastic and it sticks up and it stops uh, poop being an issue because you can take them out and wash them uh, but it also allows for the chook to sit there without kind of having dirt and other things up against the egg so when they sit on it it'll kind of brush the dirt and excess feathers and things off them off their body so then the egg is left sitting up against something that's not covered in in shit dirt all the rest of it uh, we have tried uh, wood shavings and straw straw is my least favorite I'll only use that when I have no other choice uh, because they tend to want to sit in there and poop in there and so then you end up with shit everywhere uh, the wood shavings are easier to get poop out of and that's the only difference between that and straw because they'll still sit in there with the wood shavings but with wood shavings you can get um, some of the poop out and still leave the shaving behind but like I say we're hoping to go back once we build these new boxes I'm hoping to go back to um, the mats if you can't get a hold of those mats a little square piece of fake turf if you know somebody who's had their their lawn um, you know fake turfed just get a little square piece of that and put that in there and that is enough to just brush their feet and their their feathers so that it gets the dirt off when they sit down to lay all right the next one is the roosting bars now roosting bars are really really important and I don't think people realize just how important they are to the whole social structure for chickens but chickens need to be off the ground of a night that's their their natural state the way mother nature intended them to be is that they take themselves into a place of safety off the ground and they will roost alongside each other so they'll all line up on a post together now in the wild um, if chickens were living in the wild it would be in a tree they would literally fly up into a tree and sit on a branch and roost there all lined up together safety in numbers in a chicken coop they want to do exactly the same thing and what you have to take into account is that there is a social structure amongst a flock so when you have more than two birds you're probably going to be mindful of the fact that you might need two different roosting bars and that's because there will always be somebody at the bottom of the pecking order and somebody at the top of the pecking order in our case we have two roosters along with 25 hens so at the moment we have a couple of hens that are older ladies we call them Agnes being our oldest and Agnes and the older ladies sit on the top rung with Sam who is our primary rooster every now and then the ostrich who is our secondary rooster he'll also sit up on that top rung but usually he sits on the one one down from it 
and he'll sit with a whole bunch of other girls who are top of the pecking order of the new girls. Then we have a whole bunch of girls who are the bottom of the pecking order and they sit on the third rung and that's below all the others. Now it's important that when you have, if you're having more than a few chalks and you need to put more than a few rungs in, it's really important that you stagger those rungs because the chickens don't care if they shit on each other, especially if the person they're shitting on is further down the pecking order than them. So if you have the rung sitting directly above another rung, the, the girls on that bottom rung will get shat all over, literally shat all over, which is not great for hygiene. So if you stagger them just on a slight angle away from each other, it just allows the ones on the higher pecking order and the higher rungs to shit on the perch and not have it land on the girls below. If you've only got a couple of birds, one rung is probably going to be enough. Um, and they, they'll sort themselves out with it, but you'll find some birds too will come in really early to get up on that pecking order list. So I know Agnes is just about the first hen to bed every night. Now that could be because she's the oldest, she's four. So it could be that she's just tired and over it. Um, but she will go in and she gets herself in what's called prime position up on that rung. And then everybody else piles in behind her. Now the rooster, Sam, our primary rooster, is just about always sitting next to her on that perch. It's like they are the king and queen of the flock and that's their spot and everybody else takes their spots around them. Uh, so roosting bars, very important. We're, just, we're actually just about to train, if that's the, probably not the right word, but it is, the, um, our little chicks that we hatched. Um, they're out in the brooder house still, but we're going to put rungs out there for them because they need to learn how to roost of a night. And up until now, they've sat under mum's feathers and kept nice and warm every night, um, but they're getting too big for that. Mum sits out there and she puts her wings over them and she's not even close to covering them. They're way too big now. So it's now time for them to start learning to get up on the roost with mum. So we'll put a roost in there for her. Mum can start teaching them about how they, every night, will go up and get themselves up onto a roost rather than sit under her feathers. All right, next one is cleaning and specifically easy cleaning. Um, designing a coop that has easy access for you to get in and clean is, is vital. Now, um, I'll put a little link in to, to the show notes. Um, a gentleman that I know through one of my business groups actually sells um, small chicken coops. And I'm, I'm trying to work out a deal with him where I might just get myself one of those coops. And uh, if he gets me one of those coops, we can do a test drive on it and do some videos maybe to show people what it's like. Um, but he imports them from China because... Unfortunately, everything that we have that's manufactured just about comes from China. So he imports them in, but they're very functional. So I'm going to try and get one of those off him. Uh, and I'll post in the show notes, I'll do a link, but it's MJ Inspired is the name of the, um, of the company that's selling them. Uh, he has some other chicken products too that I've been looking at that I'll, I'll discuss in further episodes, I'm imagining. Okay, so easy cleaning. Having a coop that you can access to clean the poop out. Uh, chickens poop a lot. There's no other way of saying that. They are little shit machines. So you need to be able to access where they sleep and roost overnight so you can clean out the, the shit that happens overnight because they'll be the big build-up. You also need to make sure that if you are not having a moving chicken house 
that you have some system of picking up the excess chicken poop. There's only so much chicken shit that can get um, scratched into the soil um, and be beneficial. Now, I have discussed on previous episodes too about collecting the chicken manure and using that for compost once it's degraded and broken down and not so raw and burny. Um, But a couple of things that I've been looking at lately, and, and I've only been looking at them because we're in the process of trying to sort out how we can do some smaller chicken runs, not our big pastured process that we have, uh, so that we can start breeding these heritage birds. So I was uh, I found a woman on YouTube who was doing some awesome bedding options that I've never seen before. In the inside part of the coop where the birds are nesting, she had obtained uh, ground coffee from a cafe, from a local cafe, that would they would just go throw the ground coffee out. She went and picked up a big tub of it, and she had it uh, layered across the floor under the roosting uh, perches. And she had a kitty litter scoop that she was using and a bucket, and she would just scoop up the excess poop out of the coffee grounds. Now the coffee grounds, she said, added to a pleasant smell in the in the coop, but they also well, they might stick a little bit to the to the chicken poop. You, you're not taking heaps of coffee grounds out every time you clean up. It's not like you're raking up a big patch of them and pulling them out. You are literally just scooping with the kitty litter scoop, letting the excess drop through and chucking the poop into a bucket. In her outer area of her chicken coop where they were contained, so not their free-range foraging area, um, she had crushed metal, so um, the gravel road base. Uh, she had that down. And she was using, again, a kitty litter scoop, but she had it attached to a broom handle. So she doesn't have to bend over, she's not hurting her back all day. And she'd literally just put the same bucket she'd used for the inner part of the coop, clean up. She'd put it in the middle and she would just scoop up loose bits of poop all around the, um, the ground. As she'd pick it up with the kitty litter scoop, the loose gravel would fall out and she would throw the poop with a little bit of gravel in it in, into the bucket. She would then take that bucket out and put that into her compost. And it was adding wonderfully to a compost. The coffee's not hurting it. The chicken poop's great for it. And the little bit of um, gravel in there was just helping aerate it. So it it actually looked like a really good system. And I'm going to trial it, I think, when we get our, you know, coop sorted for these heritage birds that we're looking at. I'm going to try that because I think that would be a really easy way to keep it clean. And she literally did her coop in five minutes. and, And that was it. The poop was gone. So you want that. You want it to be an easy clean situation. Whether or not you're having your children do the cleaning or whether you're doing the cleaning yourself, nobody wants to spend hours cleaning chicken shit up. Like, seriously, nobody. I'm, as, a, as a prior stabled horse owner, <laughs> nobody wants to spend hours picking up animal shit. It really is not fun. Uh, so whatever you can do to make it easy on yourself is the best. Now, as I mentioned earlier with the um, nesting boxes, it's important that you don't allow the girls to sleep in their nesting boxes because if you do, you're going to have to clean those out too. So anything you can do to dissuade them from sleeping in there. Um, I know Joel Salatin uses a method where of an afternoon when he goes to collect the eggs and and check on the girls again, he drops down. It's basically um, mesh with a, a piece of timber sewn into the bottom of it. And he swings that down, it works like a curtain, a weighted curtain, down the front of his nesting boxes, because he's got 20 nesting boxes in his tractors. Uh, And that just stops the girls going in there overnight. And then when he goes out to check them in the morning and feed them again, he just rolls that back up, tucks it into the top of the nesting boxes, and the nesting boxes are all open. 
So it's really important not to to really discourage them from sleeping in there because they will shit in there and then it's just more work for you. Uh, next one. Oh, and the only other thing I will say on cleaning is in the event that you have a buildup of uh, chickens and, and pest issues, lice is one of, one of the big issues in a, a coop area. And we have had this problem here where we had to completely desanitize a, a coop, go through it and sanitize it rather and just and completely clean it out. Now, you can lime wash walls to, to stop the lice, but what we found was we just removed the chickens from the coop. We took them and put them in the chicken tractor and uh, aired it right out. We hosed it with disinfectant and then we just left the coop open to dry. And when the lice don't have anything to suck on, if they don't have any animal that is their preference to attach themselves to, they'll die. They've got nowhere to live. They've got no host, so to speak. Uh, but that is something to keep in mind that from time to time, maybe, you know, once every six months, start of summer, you know, it's probably a good time, even 12 months in a small coop, just to really clean the coop out completely and disinfect all of the walls and floor and everything. Okay, next one, natural light. Of course, <laughs> I'd love to have a chicken Taj Mahal and have a skylight and windows and things like that. But one of the simplest ways to get natural light in is to, on the top of your coop, have at least one clear panel of corrugate. So if you if the rest of your um, chicken coop roof is corrugated iron, just a clear pers perspex or fiberglass, I don't even know what they're made of these days, um, sheet of corrugate across the top, which means that when the sun's up, there's light in there. And that's the main thing. Chickens are very much uh, animals who follow uh, nature's cycles of the seasons. And that's why in winter they do tend to molt and go off the lay for a little while because they don't have as much light coming in. They don't, it's not warm, you know, that's their downtime. It's their rest period through winter. But having natural light in there will help the chicken's internal clock and that in turn helps their egg production. So like how we need a certain number of daylight hours in order to get a very restful sleep of a night, chickens in order to keep their egg production up need a minimum number of daylight hours and I think that's 16. In the factory chicken coops uh, where they used to do battery hens they used to have the lights on 24 7 because the more light they worked out the more they lay eggs and so then you'd have battery hens who are laying two eggs a day because their body clock just never turned off to the lights which you know, destroys their body eventually. It's it, it would be like us running a marathon every day for, for a year. It's, it's not good for them. But you do want them to follow the natural cycle. So when the sun is up, you want light in that coop. When the sun is down, you want the coop dark. Like I say, best way to do it is just a clear fiberglass or perspex, whatever they are, sheet of corrugated iron. Having a window in the coop is fine too. Um, but because we've discussed ventilation already, it doesn't necessarily need to be a closed-in window. It could be a window that just has fly screen on it, um, which still allows light and the sun occasionally to get through, but allows that breeze to come through as well. Um, what have we got next? Weather protection. Okay, so depending on where you live, <laughs> and I live where it is very, very cold in the winter and very, very hot in the summer, and we still have a beautiful four separate seasons of the year. Um, 
some people live in beautiful sunny Queensland and Northern Territory and top end of WA and you guys, you don't have to worry so much about the, the cold weather protection, but you still have higher levels of rain and you also get a lot more storms than we do. So you need to consider where you put your coop and what you're building it out of and make sure that it has adequate levels of protection against wind and rain. Uh, if it's in a super cold area, then you need to have some proper insulation inside it so that the chickens aren't sitting out in nasty, horrible, freezing cold weather. That being said, they are animals. They can tolerate a lot more than what we can and a lot more than what we think they can. Uh, it's a bit like when people say to me with the Merrimer, oh, she doesn't sleep out in the paddock though, does she? I mean, it's a frost. The other morning I fed her and her hair was frozen. <laughs> And she's just fine with that. She, If we tried to get her in and keep her in a warm environment, she would probably hate it. So chickens can handle a fair amount, but they don't like being wet. They do not like being stuck out in the rain. So if you're in a situation where um, you're letting them forage, you need to make sure that they have access to get undercover if it does start raining. If you're home watching them, then that's no problem. You can always tuck them back into their, um, into their coop. But... Inside the coop, they need to have an area where they are out in the sunlight and they can have access to the weather and the wind and all the rest, but have an area that is also undercover so that they can run under that area if the weather turns. Um, wind is another issue. So when you're placing your coop, depending on whether you're northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere, you know, place it to the so that the back end of it is to the windy side so that they do have some protection from the cold wind. Or hot wind. If you live, you know, up north, you probably have more issues with hot wind causing issues for them as far as heat exhaustion. Um, so extreme temperatures, you really need to assess what you've got for them. Shelter, shade, cover for rain, they're the main ones to consider. And um, insulation, if you are in a snowy environment, and in, like I said before, in Australia, we don't have extremes where it's, you know, there's not many areas of Australia that are snow, you know, for, for three or four months of the year. But even when you're in areas like we are, where it's minus, we're in the minuses overnight, and that's Celsius, not Fahrenheit, guys. Um, when we're in the minuses overnight for, you know, a month at a time, having an insulated or an area of insulated cover for them is really vital. It, like, it can really help them just to keep that condition and maintain, you know, good health. Anyway, next one, feeding and watering. So within the coop, you need to have feeding and watering stations. And I have discussed it before. I think I discussed it last week in nutrition, is that chickens are dirty little fuckers. <laughs> There's no other way of putting that. Uh, they will scratch around and kick shit and bedding and everything else into their water and feed troughs. So the best thing that we found is having a feed trough that sits up off the ground. So it's in a little house out in the paddock and it has cover over it so it can't get wet. Uh, it also prevents some of the wild birds coming into it. Uh, but it's up off the ground a bit and that way when they go into feed, they're not standing in soil and grass and shit that they can flick up into it. Um, in the brooder house, we have the feeder sitting up on a, a couple of bricks so that they can eat with, and even though they do their normal scratching thing, because that's just a chicken thing, when they scratch and carry on, they're not flicking shit into their feeder all the time. Uh, same with the watering. 
I discussed last week with nutrition with drip feeders being a very great, uh, like a really good system because they stay so clean and you know, they only, there's no wastage of water or anything like that. But, um, but you do have to check them and they are a little bit more expensive. If you have a normal water um, container, like it just so the water feeders, if you have a normal one of those, hanging it from something in the coop so that they can't dig and scratch at it or having it up on elevated onto something means that they can't push shit into it. Um, but obviously you need to have that in an area where it's easy to get to, easy to clean. You're not having to reach in and climb through a coop to do it. It's, it's better, I find, to have it outside of their nighttime roosting area. I have it out in the, in the area that they're frequenting during the day because when they're roosting overnight, they're generally not feeding or drinking. Um, but they're things to consider. And, and certainly having them easily accessible if you've got somebody else doing some feeding and watering for you. So if kids are doing it, you need to have it so that they can get in. Um, some of our containers that we use are hard for the kids to open and close. So you know that's something that you need to consider depending on who's looking after the chickens. Um, and the last one I want to talk about is noise reduction. Now, chickens aren't that noisy. Yeah, it's not a barking dog sound going all day. But it depends on your neighbours. <laughs> and I've had good neighbours in urban environments and I've had really shitty neighbours in urban environments. So probably before you think about anything else, speak to your neighbours. If the neighbours are problematic then really consider what your options are. Um, doing, if you don't know your neighbours, do a little letterbox drop. Hey, we live at this place. We're thinking about getting backyard chickens. We understand some people may have concerns about that. Do you have any concerns? Is there anything that you need to know, you know, before we get our backyard chickens? Um, you, you'll probably find that the neighbours will go, great, we've now got a source of eggs in case we run out. Um, but Checking with your neighbours first would probably alleviate a whole bunch of problems. I feel like lately society's gone down a track where we don't talk to our neighbours, which is kind of sad. Um, that whole sense of community's gone. But just touching base with your neighbours and saying, this is what we're doing. Um, they're going to be a lot less noise or mess or smell than a dog would be, um, which is true. They would be all of those things. Um, but if you've got any concerns please, you know, drop a note to us in our letterbox and we'll alleviate the, the concerns that you might have. Now, that being said, most urban environment areas, the councils will not allow you to keep roosters, which means you will not have a crowing rooster at four o'clock in the morning. Um, only in rural areas in Australia, um, areas that are considered farming, are you allowed to keep roosters. Uh, I, I can't think of any council that I've heard of allowing roosters in an urban environment. And I think that's a pretty good thing because it just saves a whole bunch of hassle with your neighbours. Hens aren't that noisy. And anybody that has an issue with hen noise, seriously, probably needs to have a really long, hard look at themselves. Um, but there are some breeds that are definitely quieter than others. And if you go to my uh, free webinar that I've got, um, you can go and have a look at that and I go through ones that are definitely more backyard friendly as far as noise levels. So if you know that you've got a neighbour that's going to be an issue, then you would probably be looking to get some of those breeds rather than, you know, other breeds that can be a little bit noisier and make a little bit more huff and puff. Um, soundproofing options are something to consider. That seems pretty extreme, but when we say soundproofing, what I'm thinking when I say soundproofing is Grow a hedge, put a screen up along your fence, 
you know there's you can place your chicken coop in a certain area of the backyard where it's not really you know on that neighbor's you know fence side and therefore the the, the noise is not closer to them um, but definitely hedging around them uh, good thick hedging like you know box hedging that kind of thing um, would would block out a lot of the sound uh, screening you know the fence extenders and then growing a trellis go grow some passion fruit or jasmine up it and just have that extra kind of layer that that puts any noise stops any noise going through uh, the important bit with your coops is check with your council uh, it's very unlikely in Australia that you'll get uh, pushback from a council saying no you can't have them but there may be some councils that don't like it if your council has regulations that says no you can't have chickens I would be saying to you fight fight them for it <laughs> if if they don't understand if they're really that uneducated you need to prepare yourself you need to have information about victory gardens and how beneficial it was uh, during the wars for people to have their own food supply in their own backyard uh, educate yourself about regenerative agriculture go and watch um, TEDx talks the Alan Savory one is probably the best out of the TEDx talks but have a look at some YouTube clips of Joel Salatin over in the States he's awesome when he talks about regenerative agriculture particularly in relation to chickens uh, prepare yourself for the arguments they may present which will more than likely be uh, hygiene issues pest issues because they'll be worried about mice and we didn't we didn't actually touch on that but it's important to ensure that you um, uh, don't have rodents coming in after the feed so with your feed um, stalls like your feed uh, feeders that you use in your chicken coops if you can get one of the treadle touch ones where the chickens have to stand on it to lift the lid that's a good one for preventing wild birds and pests getting in uh, so that'll be the main ones pest um, noise for neighbors the smell of the manure will be another one that people will argue but if you're looking after your chooks correctly there won't be any smell in the coop because you'll be you'll be cleaning the poop out and you, the worst you'll have is a compost which any gardener in any backyard in suburbia has a compost the noise if you're picking a breed that's a, a low noise breed then that's that's great for that um, pests if you can alleviate that and say look the food's all going to be contained in in tubs where you know mice and rats can't get into it they're in a they've got a, a feeder that's a treadle feeder so only the chickens can access it that'll alleviate that go in there prepared to have the argument and so long as you can explain to them that you are going to prioritize the well-being the safety and the comfort of your chickens i can't understand why anybody would say no i I think every family should have chickens but that's just because I'm biased anyway that is it for this week on chicken coops so I hope that's kind of covered off on a few things that you might have thought about as far as can I get a chicken coop have I got enough space what do I need to consider um, as I've said at the beginning um, pop along to www.mojohomestead.net and I've got some more resources there that you can have a look at um, and if you're in the mood for buying some chicken related clothing you can go to www.notthefarmerswife.com and I have got a whole bunch of print-on-demand clothing that I'm selling uh, some of which are quite funny little chicken things on them so go and have a look at that and see what you think and let me know uh, as usual any questions any queries concerns you can get me on Instagram or Facebook at notthefarmerswife and Mojo Homestead uh, on Instagram it's actually not full stop the farmer's wife 
I couldn't get not the farmer's wife. What a pain in the butt. Anyway, um, until next week uh, when we are talking about, I can't remember. I'll tell you next week what we're talking about because I can't remember what it was. Anyway, have a good week and I'll speak to you all next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.